Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Matt Eddy. Hi Kyle, thanks for having me. <laughs> of course, hey, if not the host, we're equal partners in this. We're here to talk about the Hall of Fame induction, uh, 2018, pretty loaded class, Chipper Jones, Jim Tomey, Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, three of the best hitters of our lifetimes, uh, one of the best closers of our lifetimes, probably you know, easily the second best, I would say, with Tamariano Rivera. Really just four guys who I think there's a lot of expectation they would get in. Jones and Tomei, first ballot, not a lot of questions there. Vlad and Hoffman, even though this wasn't their first ballot, it took them a few. You know, ballot two for Guerrero, ballot three for Hoffman. Not like it was a huge weight. Expectations where they'd get in, and, and they got in. Just, you know, a lot's been said about these guys. Uh, not a whole lot to add other than they were great and they deserve it. Uh, just real quick, overall, what's your take on, on the Hall class of 2018? Uh, great job by the writers. Number one, these past five elections have seen the most players enter via the writers, the most players of any five-year period in the Hall's history. So I think we're finally getting a representation in Cooperstown that uh, is warranted. You know, you mentioned that. There was a lot of discussion about if you looked at breakdown by era, the number of guys who played in the 10s, 20s, 30s, comparatively to the guys who played 70s, 80s, 90s, it was way skewed. A lot of the older guys, a lot of the newer guys weren't getting in. You mentioned that induction stretch. Even now, you know, the Veterans Committee guys, mm-hmm. Alan Trammell and, uh, and Jack Morris, it's not guys who got started in the 30s. It's guys who got started in the 70s. It does feel like we're moving into a, a more modern era of guys who played, you know, within our lifetimes are getting in and deservedly so. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's a writer's – I'm comparing the writer's ballots to the writer's ballots of the past. So it's they're considering roughly approximately the same players. But even so, the writers today are granting more passes than they used to. And that's – you know, Well, the been, Veterans Committee is, is granting fewer. There has been obviously discussion. I will say in the past it felt like the 10-member limit was more than enough, and now I feel like just you know the talk all around baseball, even with the writers themselves, is, oh, we need more than 10, we need more than 10. Uh, I think that obviously there's a, there's a very, you know, there's a debate there whether you think they're not. I, I can see both parts of it. But uh, overall, I do feel like the end result was, for the most part, the right result in terms of this oh, year. Oh, yeah. As writers more removed from the game are eliminated from the voting rolls and as new writers who are a little savvier younger enter enter the uh, voting i think we're going to see continued uh, positive trends well i'm on uh, this will be my fourth year as a bbwa member so six more years then i'll get to six join to the go. crowd and uh, hopefully i'll make you proud max i know you follow so this you can, stuff very cl- very very closely so you can vote for who, who would be a pet, uh, a pet well, project? Six, six years, who retired uh, this year or last year? I, don't know. I haven't even looked at it. It's a little far away. But, uh, you know, a couple guys didn't get in this year that I, I think if you look at the voting trends, will get in. Uh, first and foremost is Edgar Martinez. Also, he's a <laughs> a lot of people have the DH discussion. Um, he came up as a third baseman, obviously didn't play a ton of it. But I feel like there's two layers here. One, there's third basemen have a very, very difficult time getting in, as we've seen over and over, and we can get to Scott Rowland later. But on top of that, you have, well, he was a third baseman who then spent a lot of time as a a designated hitter, which is even lesser of of a likelihood of getting in. But 20 votes short, we've seen the last few years, guys with that number do tend to get over that hump their next election. Mm -hmm. What are your overall thoughts on on Edgar Martinez, both the trend he's gone in voting as well as just his overall candidacy and and really how I feel like we've seen it evolve over the last few years? I have a hard time wrapping my mind around how he he goes from sub-50% to 
you know, 70% this year and pretty much a lock for next year. Like, what did he debut at? Was I think it was less than even 50%. Well, there's been a lot of talk about that, a little bit of a group think. I, I think it goes a couple ways. There's a couple factors. First and foremost, you mentioned some of the older writers are falling off, newer writers are coming up. And, right. you know, I think about myself, you know, I'm 29, and, you know, you take writers even maybe three or four years older than me who are now getting their first votes. When we think of Edgar Martinez, we think of a guy who – was one of the most feared hitters in the American League for a decade. He was a Jim Rice of his time. I, well, and again, I, I wasn't alive for Jim Rice, and, no, and just, I. That's just a joke. I, on, on paper, I have some qualms with Jim Rice's induction. <laughs> don't act me. Don't at me, Red Sox's Twitter. Um, but I do think you can look and say, hey, you know, from 1992 through 2002, you know, or maybe even you know, just that that 90, 92 to 2001. That's ten seasons. That ten season period, you know. The list of guys you would rather see up at the plate. He wasn't number one in terms of the most feared hitter, but he was in the conversation. And I think that's something that, you know, has probably swayed it a little bit for younger writers who have that memory of him. Um, but on top of it, there is, I think, a little bit of a group think. We've seen some public campaigns. We've seen yeah. with the ballot trackers, there's a lot of really interesting insights just into psychology about how people see, oh, well, so and so's voting for him and so and so's voting for him. Right. Maybe I should vote for him too. And I've even wrestled with that. I feel like I remember thinking a few years ago, I, I don't know if Edgar Martinez would be a Hall of Famer. I was very on the fence, leaning no, because I tend to be more of a minimalist. And even now I find myself thinking, yeah, I'd probably vote for him if I had my vote now. And I, you're right. It's, it's interesting seeing how the psychology of it has all changed. Yeah, he reaches a point of acclamation where you almost feel like he deserves it at this point if he's so close. So therefore, I'll cast my vote for him. And here's, and here's the other debate, I think, is, is, you know, a lot of times in the past, Hall of Fame has focused a lot on, on the counting stats. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it has been. And you could say yeah. 309 homers, 2,200 hits. It's short, short of the markers that you want to see, especially for a DH and especially for a guy who, you know, never won an MVP award, only one top five finish. You know, was it was a six-time All-Star, but it was six times in uh, in eighteen years. It's not like it was perennial or seven times. Excuse and he was me. often the third biggest star on his own team. So you see those factors, and you say, well, yeah, that's not a Hall of Famer. Excuse me, it was seven All Stars in, in eighteen years. But with the added weight given to on-base percentage, and you say, well, how often does this guy reach base? And I think for some of the newer, you know, the people who are more inclined to go to the percentages as opposed to the counting stats, right. that's where I think you see the eligibility tick up. And I'm not going to sit here and proclaim one definitively right, one definitively wrong. I, I do think that there is validity to both. And that's why for me, I do agree. It seems kind of funny to think of him as a slam dunk to go in next year, but He's also not – if I look at the list of guys in the Hall of Fame, I'm like, what a joke. That guy has no business being in there. Edgar Martinez would not be on the top of my list. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, there are a couple other guys. You know, the, the pitchers are interesting to me. So I, right now we're going to keep away from the PED guys because that's a whole different discussion. But Mike Musina and Kurt Schilling go back for me. Again, I, I we've seen – you know, numbers differentiate. I'm sure some of Schilling's words and actions towards journalists have not helped uh, his case in a lot of their minds. But hmm. independent of that, you know, Mucina and Schilling were two. Again, I, I think about for our generation, the generation of writers, you know, now maybe 28 to 38, 35, 36. You know, Mucina and Schilling were two of the preeminent right-handed pitchers in the game, especially during an era where the steroids were flying, baseballs were flying. I mean, these were two guys you knew, uh, 
you know, obviously Pedro Martinez was was the creme de la creme. But, I mean, Mucina and Schilling were right there as well as, as guys from right-handed pitchers that you said, I have no interest in facing this guy. And teams actively sought to acquire these guys. They recognized them as you know, premier players in their time, whether it was trades or contract signings for big money or big prospect packages. I'm a bit puzzled by their lack of progress. I guess Mucina is making progress. He's up to 60, up near 64%, especially because this, this first tier of pitchers, Pedro, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, all those guys are in now. So now, now we should be turning to the tier two guys and saying and and and, and considering their merits. And I'm, I have to admit, I'm pretty surprised. And Halliday, Roy Halliday, comes on the ballot next year. I think after him, there's a pretty big window where there's not going to be a slam dunk starting pitcher. I think that's when we're going to see these guys make progress. You know, you look at a guy like Vicina, for example, depending on which Hall of Fame, you know, um, stat you want to use, Black Ink, Greg, Hall of Fame Monitor, Hall of Fame Standards, Jaws, you know, four out of the five main ones, he crosses the threshold with some room to spare. And I think, you know, for me, it's a, does he pass the, st- the stats test in terms of for his era? Absolutely. Does he pass mm-hmm. the awards test? While he never won a signing award, he was in the top five, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I mean, a, a whole bunch of times. He, you know, he was a, he was a staff ace for some good Orioles teams. And again, it was seventeen. You know, if you like wins, there's a bunch of seventeens, a bunch of eighteens, a bunch of nineteens. He his last year he won twenty. There's durability. There's strikeouts. I, I do feel like he's a guy that you mentioned. You know, there's been a little bit of a climb, and maybe after this group comes in. Sorry for that background noise, folks. <laughs> that was uh, Mike Mussina, country music, Stanford. doesn't quite work. Um, I, I do think he'll get in, but you're right. It has been a little puzzling to see just how long it's taken. You know, He retired in 2008. And it, it's been a while. Yeah, and Schilling is probably a last year on the ballot guy just as a punitive measure by the writers. I have to imagine that that's, <laughs> that's going to be the case. I think Mussina has a better chance in the next election or two. I, I will say with Schilling, even if somehow he doesn't get on with the writers, I feel like the Veterans Committee will get him in. We've seen a lot. He'll, he'll be in eventually. He'll be in. It's just, yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of the best postseason pitchers of the you know, post World War II. Again, it's you know he's got three World you know three World Series rings for three different teams and, and played a big part on all of them. But on top of that, two even, different teams. He didn't win one with the Phillies. Oh, I'm sorry, went to three World Series. Yeah. Right, my apologies. He was the, yeah, he was the ace of three different pitching, well, co-ace with Randy Johnson, but. Yeah, that was, that's, that was, a, that's a big ace. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but again, even beyond just the postseason, it's not like he was a bump in the regular season either. No. A bunch of 20-win seasons, uh, 216 wins, strikeouts, ERA, all the metrics are there. And yep. Overall, I mean, I, I look at this list of guys who didn't make it, and I see Edgar, I see Mucina, I see Schilling. Those are the guys I say, I feel fairly confident they'll get in. Mm-hmm. Beyond them, I don't want to say I'm, – I'm hesitant to say I see a guy I'm like, I think he'll get there. But then again, we've seen these huge jumps in voting, like you mentioned with Edgar. Is there a guy beyond those three you say, you know, I, I think there could be a similar jump? <clears throat> you mean aside from Bonds and Clemens? Yeah, none. Okay. Because uh, to me, I guess that's a whole different animal of why they're not. I'm talking about the guys who okay. haven't had that uh, issue. Well, wow, that's tough. That's, those are the big names for me who I think are on a track. And I would put Bonds and Clemens on that list too, but we don't have to discuss them in depth. Uh, how about for you? You know, there's not a guy that I, I sit here and say I feel super strong he'll get in. I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of rise Fred McGriff and Larry Walker have as, again, some of the older writers bow out, some of the younger writers come in and remember <laughs> them again as 
two studs of their generation. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'm not going to sit here and say Walker has two more tries. I didn't realize that. You know, I I'll be interested to see the one for me, and this is my when I saw this, I just shook my head. Omar Vizquel getting that many more votes over Scott Rowland was <laughs> mind-boggling to me. And, and the, I think the, the Vizquel candidacy, I mean, that, that was being talked about in his final days as a player as he chased 3,000 hits and the all-time games at shortstop, I think he has that, or all-time assists, or he has some shortstop record. And second most gold gloves. This was already being talked about as his career was winding down. And, and it was silly then, and it's silly now. But I, I, to, just to play devil's advocate, because I know that's what you want, right? Sure. Hit me. The Hall of Fame is a better place as it recognizes different shades of greatness. Vizcal would be one of the worst hitters in the Hall of Fame were he elected. But he's an accomplished defensive player with these records and these gold gloves. And the Hall of Fame could, in that way, acknowledge that type of greatness and durability. That's the argument you could make. I wouldn't agree with it. To me, the bat's just too light to justify even the defensive greatness compared to the Hall of Famers of his era. But they spell out that lightness. It's like an 80 OPS plus. 82 OPS plus. Which uh, puts him, like I think that's Luis Aparicio, Rabbit Marinville territory. And again, look. Among I mean, Hall of Fame When you tops. consider that, hey, your job, especially in this era, the era he played, well, at least the early 90s, and, and a good chunk of it was don't worry about being a power guy, you know, play good defense, hit for a high average. But even with that, you know, a 272 average, 336 on base, I, there's, they're decent numbers when you take into account as a 24-year career when that's your overall. But there's just too many years of being a, an offensive, you know, liability as good as the defense is. And that, for me, is, is an issue. And people say, well, the counter-argument is the Edgar argument. Well, yes, you have to be effective on both sides of the ball, Offense get is going to get weighed heavy, more heavily. Well, Vizquel was a better hitter than Martinez defender, just based on the games played. And there's the counter argument <laughs> to that too. I'm not, I don't think I would vote for Vizquel. I'm just saying, I, I see it more of as a gray area. And I think that's where a lot of the the fight came in because I feel like there were a lot of ballots he was not on. And uh, I mean, again, his final tally uh, in this voting round was 37, percent which is actually a pretty good showing. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, maybe he sneaks in. You know, you talk about, you know, Bill Mazeroski. You know, you mentioned, yeah. you know, those guys who were middle infielders who had a, a big offensive moment or two. And Vizquel did have some decent seasons. You know, he had a 14 home run season in 02 for the Indians. Had a year he hit 333, a couple other years in the 280s, 290s. So it's. Yeah, he had a, a nice peak sandwiched around a pretty uh, not so great beginning and ending in terms of hitting. If you look at 96 to 2006. You know, it's solid. Then you say, okay, gold glove shortstop, 285, 355 Yeah, he had a 92 ops plus for that period. So at peak, he's essentially elite. For a shortstop, a 92 ops plus is pretty good. So, I mean, if you look at just his peak years and then give him credit for his defense. Again, not my selection necessarily, but I, I don't. it wouldn't bother me. Like, I think it would bother you. Well, which I think segues into a lo- Tyler Kepner at the New York Times wrote this article. It's something I felt, and I know I've talked about with you, is third baseman and the lack of them in the Hall of Fame, and in some cases, the lack of voting. And that, and that for me is where, again, if you compare Scott Rowland to Omar Vizquel, it's a no-brainer. Scott Rowland should have way more votes than Omar Vizquel. Instead, he did not. What just, you know, you've been tracking this stuff for, for a long, long time, not to make you feel old, but I think when you started at BA and we're doing some of the tracking of this, I was... Uh, 
still in elementary school. Hmm. Uh, what have you kind of just, what's been your perception of, of third basemen and how they're viewed and, and how you've seen their voting patterns towards them change, if at all, in the past 10, 15, even 20 years? In the early days of the game, you know, pre-integration, pre-World War II, there weren't as many stars at the position, therefore there weren't that many Hall of Famers. Since the game integrated, though, it's the voting has caught up. Uh, Post-integration, there are nine third basemen in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Ron Santo was put in by the veterans. I think all the others are writers' selections. And that stacks up very well with the other infield positions uh, and outfield. So I think third base is, is well represented now when you consider just the past 70 years of baseball history, which I think is an appropriate cutoff. That's fair. Um, Roland, uh, Chipper Jones being the latest. And Chipper Jones overshadowing Roland throughout his career is probably the big reason why Roland isn't getting more attention right now. Playing in the same league for all but you know, a short period with Toronto for Roland as well. And Roland is a classic underrated guy, if you go back to what Bill James wrote 20 years ago, in that he doesn't have a signature offensive skill, and he played. And he's not strongly identified with any one team. He played for a bunch of teams, uh, a couple of playoff teams, the 2010 Reds and Water, the Cardinals. Won a World Series with the Cardinals and performed very well in that 2006 World Series. Yeah. But is he a Philly? Is he a Cardinal? Is he a Red? Is he a Blue Jay? You know, I mean, he played. He, he spent sizable parts of his career with all those teams. To me, it's it's... You know, Philly, Phillies or Cardinals, I think I see fairly evenly. But, yes, there's no question, I think, the fact that there's no strong identifier. But, look, you see a guy hit for average, got on base, hit for power, was one of the best defensive third basemen of, of our generations. You know, yeah. I'd say him and Adrian Beltre. And Beltre probably will be a Hall of Famer, should be a Hall of Famer when his time comes. Right. Um, but, I mean, Roland's defense was, was, you know, incredible. And his peak, it was every bit as good. And, you know, Beltre is a little bit of a late bloomer. I mean, you could argue with Roland from, you know, his tenure group there, 98 to 08. I mean, it was, aside from Chipper, he was one of the supreme third basemen in all of baseball, better than yeah. most of his peers, Beltre included. Now, and, Roland, and he wasn't just a defensive player because he did bat third or fourth most of his career. His career line, 281, 364, 490. 855 career OPS, 122 OPS plus. That's in an era of a lot of offense. Yeah. While playing a premium defensive position at an elite level, went to the playoffs a bunch, uh, got a World Series ring. Obviously, there were some playoff series that were better than others, but his uh, his second World Series appearance was a great one. First one, not so much when he went to 0 for 15 with uh, <laughs> with the Reds with the Cardinals in 0 4 against the Red Sox. But I'd say he made up for it in 06 against the Tigers. Yeah, that's another. Another vote for Schilling there, shutting down Scott Rowland in the 04 World Series. Yeah, the entire Cardinals <laughs> disappeared that 04 World Series. But um, yeah, I, I would vote for Rowland if I had a ballot, just to clear that up. Would you? And, and so we're, we're both in agreement. We would vote for Rowland, but not Viscal. Yes. Okay. Are there any other guys here that, as you move down the ballot on this year, that you'd say I would have voted for him, even though they clearly didn't come close to the threshold? Well, Manny Ramirez. But are we talking? We're not going to talk about him. We can. I mean, I, I guess I view the guys who've been, you know, whether it's the Mitchell Report, the Balco documents, the biogenesis scandal, you know, any of uh, the guys where there's some tangible, you know, evidence, whether it's documentation or a positive test, I think there's a little bit of a, of a I don't know, because that, that's a whole separate side of the argument. I think, no doubt, you look at, obviously, the performance of, you know, Manny or Gary Sheffield or, obviously, Bonds and Clemens, you'd say yes, but... 
the fact that they've been presented as PED users at various points of uh, the last 10, 15 years mm-hmm. complicates their candidacy. So I feel like they're kind of in their own separate bubble, if that makes sense. But talent-wise, no, no question. I guess I, I look at this, uh, Jeff Kent is a guy who intrigues me a little bit. I, I, again, not sure you sit here and say definitive Hall of Famer, but again, I look at some of the guys that maybe got votes ahead of him, and I could see an argument for Kent ahead of some of those guys. Not all, but some. I can see it. Yeah, huge peak. Play, again, a guy overshadowed by Craig Biggio and Roberto Alomar at, at his peak. It's always tough when you're the third best player at your position or, or perceived as the third best player at your position. I think that always hampers candidacies. But one thing he has that those guys don't have is an MVP award. And, uh, you know, that 123 OPS plus definitely helps. I, I think he probably won't get any help uh, considering he was not known as the greatest human being in the world to writers right. or teammates. Right. But, yeah, you know, again, I, I, I see those guys. And, look, McGriff and Walker, I, I get their candidacies. I, I could see them rising a little bit. Just overall, you know, you, you mentioned different, uh, you know, the different positions that have been represented. The one here that is... I don't know if it underrepresents fair, but the one that's actually been least represented is catchers. Mm-hmm. There's not really a catcher on this ballot. We saw Pudge got get in next year, mm-hmm. but there's not really a catcher on, on this group of ballots. You say because Jorge Posada didn't get five percent, which you know, very good player, not a Hall of Famer. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts there on on catching? Because again, we've seen Piazza get in, we've seen Pudge Rodriguez get in, right? And but who will be the next? That's kind of the question you're asking, right? I mean, how long are we talking about waiting? Do you uh, think? It's going to be Joe Maurer or Yadier Molina, I think, is going to be the next serious candidate. Yadi is going to be a fascinating discussion to me because, as someone pointed out, uh, if you actually looked at his career uh, performance and stripped away some of the narrative stuff, mm-hmm. compares really well with Jim Sundberg, who is not a <laughs> Hall of Famer. That's yeah. like what works really, really well. Um, you know, you look at similar batters through age 34, it's A.J. Przinsky, Bill Freehan, Jason Kendall, Tony Pena, Benito Santiago, Ramon Hernandez, all really good catchers. None of them Hall of Famers. Obviously, there's some additional things there just in terms of what he provided defensively, leadership ability. Right. It'll be really interesting to me to watch just how his candidacy unfolds whenever that time comes because I feel like he's probably going to play another <laughs> five years just because he's Yadi Molina. Well, when he was at his peak and the Cardinals were in the NLCS every year, the popular discussion point was that he was a future Hall of Famer. I never quite subscribed to that, but his peak was quite excellent. There's no, there's no, I think he has a, as high a peak as any catcher probably we've seen in a while. Well, I mean, it's obviously not Piazza's peak, but they play different, different. Well, times. I mean, when, but, when yeah, he factors I'll, defense and everything else. Yeah. I mean, in terms of fair. everything you could ask for from a catcher, I think. That's true. You look at, you know, so 2007, 2000. Overall value. I, I would say he's right at the top of that list. 2007 to 2016, that kind of 10 year peak, if you will. 294, 348, 412, while winning gold gloves uh, every single year except for the last one. The first <laughs> and the last, so eight straight. Uh, a lot of all-star games, uh, top f- two top five MVP finishes. So in 10 years, you'll be you'll be using the same arguments against Vizquel, against Molina, the same, the same Vizquel no, I'm actually No, I'm actually inclined to vote. I'm way more inclined to vote for Yadier Molina <laughs> than I am Omar Vizquel. I, I definitely, because, again, Molina... You know, the difference between a 98 Ops Plus and an 82 Ops Plus is significant. It is very significant. So for me, they're two completely different candidates. We'll see how Molina finishes his career out, but to me, it's it's not in the same same category. Are they for you? 
just the reputations viewed by some as Hall of Famers in their careers, but not overall not great hitters. Absolutely. Strong defenders. Uh, Andrew Jones is an interesting case. Just because of the, the defensive value, uh, the 10 gold gloves, I think, which is more than anybody but Willie Mays at center field. It's an interesting case. I, I, he doesn't have my pretend vote, but I think a lot of a lot of smart people support him. But I'm I just I'm just not there on his offense. You know, it's it's really one of those things where I, if he had just stayed in shape and not let himself go the second he got to the Dodgers, we see a lot of these Hall of Famers who they're continually productive into their age 31, 32, 33, 34 seasons, especially in his era. And it was just off a cliff. The second, maybe his last year in Atlanta was not a good one. But, I mean, beyond that, it was just a disaster. So, yeah, I have a hard time seeing him, as much as he was an incredible player for his time, I have a hard time seeing him making the jump needed to eventually get to an induction. And a hurdle for me is just the fact that I think there were other overlooked center fielders who were better. Um, Jim Edmonds, Kenny Lofton are two examples. Bernie Williams is probably closer than I think the advanced stats put them. And coming up, we have uh, Carlos Beltran in five years. You know, he I I feel fairly secure saying he'll get in. Eventually, I think he will. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting with with the current crop of guys. I guess you mentioned Beltran just retired, uh, so I guess he'd be. Did he officially more... retire? I thought he. I did. think he's unsigned. I'm not sure that's that he's a, okay. Did he? Well, look it up because I, I, I want to know now. Yeah, I, I thought I saw him. This is a, this is scintillating. Yeah, exactly. But no, I I will say I, I do feel like uh, Beltran will be a center fielder that does go in, and he probably should. Yep, retire announced retirement from oh, baseball. Nice. Um, Players Tribune, November thirteenth, twenty seventeen. I must have missed that one. I mean, just overall, Matt, what are your thoughts on the Hall of Fame and how the voting's going? Because I feel like, and this is just me, there's been so much hand-wringing and arguing and competing articles about just everything involving it. And I feel like it's become almost a, a toxic topic in some ways. And it bothers me because, you know, I mentioned this on a radio show the other day. People like to scream about the Hall of Fame. I look at who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and it's way better than <laughs> the Hockey Hall of Fame. It, the football, take, take your word for it. The Hockey Hall of Fame has way too many guys in there who have no business being in there. The Football Hall of Fame is the other way. They have way too many guys who should be in that aren't in. Hmm. I compare ho- the Baseball Hall of Fame voting to Heisman Trophy voting. While there's all sorts of, you know, again, I just I, hand-wringing is the phrase that comes to mind. At the end of the day, I feel like for the most part, Hall of Fame voting gets yeah. it right. There are certain guys who say, eh, probably not. But for the most part, they get it right, which I don't feel comfortable. I look at the Heisman Trophy voting. I think they've gotten it wrong <laughs> easily a third of the time in the past 15 years. Yeah, the writers have, if you look at just the writers' uh, history, they have very few errors of inclusion, I would say. In terms of players I would not have voted for, it's, there's uh, very, very few examples. It's all Veterans Committee guys. Uh, yes, I mean the Veterans Committee historically, especially you know 50 years ago, was not such a uh, good gatekeeper for the Hall. So the 2019 class, I know we have yet to induct the 2018 class. Uh, <laughs> we uh, always looking ahead at BA. You know, there's a couple of interesting guys. Lance Berkman, a guy I feel like that was very underrated for his era. Mm-hmm. We have Roy Halladay. Todd Helton is going to be interesting to me, just because again we've seen Larry Walker 
right. put up fabulous numbers, win an MVP award, be a part of some some fantastic teams, both in Montreal and Colorado, mm-hmm. and the numbers even adjusted for course Field are in his favor. Mm-hmm. And yet there's still so much of a course Field, course Field, course Field thing surrounding him. He's not gotten in. I, I think it'll be tough for Todd Helton to get in okay. if Larry Walker hasn't. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Especially because he reached none of the milestones you want from a first baseman. Where did, where did he finish with? Did he get 400 home runs? I can't remember. I'll have to pull this up. I apologize, fans, for not knowing Todd Helton's exact <laughs> home run uh, total, 369. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's very short for a first baseman. Obviously, Mauro Rivera will get in. Mm-hmm. That is your first ballot Hall of Famer next year. I think Roy Halladay is going to as well. You know, it'll be interesting. I, 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 I think he deserves to get in. I wonder how much of him getting in the first time has to do with what his death will have effect on the voting. But I, he's definitely a worthy candidate. You know, so I think it will. I think people will view him more favorably because of. That's what the, I mean. The news angle. That's what yeah. I mean. I think it's so. All right, Matt, you're predicting the 2019 Hall of Fame induction. We've got Mariano <laughs> Rivera. Got Roy Halladay. And Edgar Martinez, yeah. Those that, would be the three, I think. Those are your three. Move on. Who's, who's the next strongest uh, newcomer on 2019? Uh, Andy Pettit, who kind of, I think, is going to, you know, this Mucina shilling, you know, debate. He's kind of in that same. He'll be on the ballot for a while. He'll be on the ballot. I mean, Berkman, it's Lance Berkman, Roy Halladay, Todd Helton, Darren Oliver, who will be next year's wow. uh, guy who had a nice career but yeah. will, will fall off. Nice. Uh, Roy Oswalt, who, again, I think is a guy who mm-hmm. um, is underrated in a lot of ways five top five saying award finishes but yeah. a lot of the milestones aren't quite there mm-hmm. um andy pettit juan pierre martin rivera kevin euclid wow so i didn't realize uh, five years huh? and uh michael young who uh you know again 20 almost 2400 career hits won a batting title 300 average seven all-time all-star in 14 seasons again one of those guys who again probably not a hall of famer but was really really good and didn't always get the love 2020, it's where, you know, you're going to have Derek Jeter. That's the biggie. <laughs> but beyond that, again, we're getting into the kind of the fun. A lot of guys of, of the more recent vintage, Bobby Abreu, Josh Beckett, Eric Chavez, Adam Dunn, Rafael Fercal, <laughs> Jason Giambi, who uh, whether you think is a home run, uh, a Hall of Famer or not, is probably going to fall into the, the steroid group uh, in terms of guys who don't well, get a great shot. These are going to be great ballots for Mucina and Schilling if they're not in. Paul Canerco, Cliff Lee, Alfonso Soriano. I mean, yeah, you look at these the first-time eligibles, and you really have one lock in 2019 and then Halliday, with Rivera, then Halliday is very possible. You've got one lock in 2020 with Jeter. You know, 2021, Michael Kadire's on the ballot. Mets great Michael Kadire. <laughs> uh, Dan Heron, Tim Hudson, Torrey Hunter, Adam LaRoche, Aramis Ramirez, Alex Rios, Nick Swisher, Dan Ugla, Barry Zito. Wow. So I think 2021, we're going to see everyone get in who has not gotten <laughs> in. I mean, Mark Burley had a, you know, I apologize for laughing. These guys had fantastic careers. That right. They, I think it's safe to say they don't meet the standards established by the by the writers with their voting patterns and even for tw- a Hall of Fame caliber and, player. You know, and even 2022, you're going to have Alex Rodriguez, which we all be very interested to see how that discussion goes. You know, Mark Teixeira, Jimmy Rollins, AJ Prasinski, Jake Peavy, Jonathan Papelbon, David Ortiz. Again, will be an interesting discussion to see how that one goes, especially <laughs> if Edgar's already in or not. Yeah. Uh, Joe Nathan, Ryan Howard, Prince Fielder, Carl Crawford. So again, I, it does seem like this 20... So, so that David Ortiz one, and then 
Who was the other guy you cited there? Oh, well, Alex Arod, Arod. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting. I think this 20, 2021, 2022, there's definitely going to be an opening. As for the next couple years, you know, Edgar Schilling, you see, and I, I do expect them to get in, which, you know, just to wrap it up a little bit, we all talk about the hand wringing and everyone's, oh, they should be in, they should be in, they should be in. 10 years from now, 15 years, 20 years from now, no one's going to remember that Vlad Guerrero got in on his second ballot, that Hoffman got on their third ballot. They're going to mm-hmm. remember, hey, they're Hall of Famers. Right. There might be some individual writers, but the fans, the people who you know love the game and care about the game, except for the most diehards, I challenge anyone to tell me exactly what ballot the guys who were inducted 20 years ago were inducted on. I think it's something that fades with time, and at the end of the day, the right guys do, for the most part, get in. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's my soapbox. Any final thoughts, Matt? I think the Hall of Fame discussion is fun. I know it's fashionable to to say otherwise, but I think it's fun. All right. Well, uh, if you uh, disagree with us or want to yell at us, you can find us on Twitter, at Kyle A. Glazer, at Matt Eddie B.A. That'll do it for this edition of uh, Baseball America podcast. For Matt, I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening, everybody.